0: Plushcare.com/slash/weight-loss. It's April eleventh, nineteen fifty-one, and another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Ariel, Rebecca, and Ali, the Retrospectors. The Stone of Schoon, an ancient rock that became a symbol of Scottish sovereignty, was secretly buried underneath Westminster Abbey for safekeeping during World War II. And sure enough, no German bombs managed to damage it. But where the Nazis failed, four university students from Glasgow, who stole it on Christmas Eve in 1950, succeeded, actually splitting it in two. In fact, the world found out today in history in 1951, when the Stone of Schoon was finally rediscovered in Arbroath Abbey, which is, uh, you guessed it, up in Scotland.
1: Yes, Arbroath had been chosen for the handover, if you like, back to the police who had been searching for this famous stone because it was the location of a famous statement of Scottish independence in 1320. And for the people that stole this stone and relocated it to Scotland, I suppose I should even use the word stole advisedly because they would have seen that the English had stolen it from the Scots in the first place and they're repatriating it. But anyway, mm-hmm. for those people that had stolen it, because they did, um, <laughs> they felt... <laughs> That every single part of this story was about symbolism. Symbolism that was so important to them as Scottish nationalists that it would have actually been worth breaking the thing. I mean, mm. As you say, they split it in two and this was an ancient artefact that was important to all the people of Britain.
2: And it was left in the abbey on top of the tomb of its most illustrious resident William the First of Scotland, the lion... And there were two letters left on top of it. One of them to the reigning monarch, George VI, explaining that the stunt was intended to call attention to Scotland's demands for autonomy and not to cause indignity or injury to the royal family. And the other was to the Church of Scotland requesting they work with the Church of England to find a way to keep the stone in Scotland. The Stone was then taken to a 4 far police station under guard because there was an expert on the way to confirm its authenticity ahead of its obviously planned return then to Westminster Abbey. So the Stone basically spent the night in the slammer, unlike the, <laughs> the gang of thieves themselves or indeed heroic nationalist students because they had become immensely popular, even though their identities were not known, with nationalist-leaning students. There was even a song about the escapade called The Wee Magic Stain.
0: <laughs> yeah, and even though two local councillors had taken part in the recovery of the stone uh, and both of them testified that the people who returned the stone were very reverent and bowed their heads as they placed the stone up in its in the spot where it was re- retrieved from none of the witnesses were able to describe the men at all conveniently because as it happens they had been chosen specifically because they were like you know councillors who were sympathetic to the nationalist cause and so that's why they weren't able to uh, <laughs> identify anyone
1: yeah i mean if you look at the photos from this day of the police recovering this stolen stone everyone is smiling It's a bit Mm. of a laugh, this, is the vibe that you get. And I think that's probably because George VI was still alive and there was no obvious hint that he was about to die. I think if this had been in 1952 and they knew there was a coronation round the corner Mm. at which this stone would play a formal and crucial role in the coronation of Elizabeth II, Mm. then the vibes might have been rather different.
2: And, I mean, when you look at the stone itself, you know, if you haven't actually ever seen it, just Google it. It is the most... (laughs) Bog-standard, no offence to the people of Scotland, or indeed, you know, the clergy of Westminster Abbey, is the most bog-standard-looking lump of mossy stone, specifically its red sandstone. It weighs 152 kilos, and it's hollow kind of through the centre. It almost has the shape of, like, if you think of a fold-out camping stool, it's Mm. that kind of a shape, which is why kings of Scotland would sit on it, although for English coronation ceremonies, it's placed beneath the coronation chair. Its ultimate origin is unknown. It's the subject of many legends. From the plausible, it came from Ireland... To the implausible, it's the biblical stone of Jacob from the Bible. (laughs) Um, And it is said to act as a bit of a sorting hat. You know, it would supposedly groan when a rightful monarch sat down on it. uh, And it (laughs) would remain silent if the monarch was not pleasing.
1: It's just as well we've had no problems with any of our monarchs since 1296
0: then, isn't it? That also seems the wrong way round, don't you think? That it should uh, groan... I mean, if I was uh, the one being
2: crowned, I would prefer that it remained silent with the monarch of the great
0: choice. The idea of the full legendary version of the Stone of Schoon, or Destiny as it's sometimes called, uh, goes right back to 1400 BC when an Egyptian pharaoh had a daughter called Scotta, according to this legend, and she and her husband, a Greek king called Gaethalos, Gaelic, uh, in the story, were exiled from Egypt during a time of great uprising and eventually settled in northwest Spain. And their descendants later conquered Ireland and became the Scotty, uh, who also in time came to rule Scotland. And again, the the idea is that they brought with them this uh, sandstone block. And that had, as we say, been used as the pillow by Jacob when he had a dream reported uh, in Genesis about Jacob's ladder. And really, it's one of those many versions of a, a Kind of story that lots of Christian countries ended up with as a foundational myth that attempted to link them straight back to the Bible. So, really, that's what it was all about. That was what they were trying to do. And the contrast
1: between all these different words that you just mentioned, you know, the coronation stone, the stone of destiny, mm. the contrast between these grand names for this humble item. And the Ford Anglia it was bungled into (laughs) as part of this caper just feels inherently amusing to me. Right. Um, So what happened was on Christmas Day in 1950, um, four Glasgow students, Ian Hamilton, Kay Matheson, Gavin Vernon and Alan Stewart, who were members of the Scottish Covenant Association who wanted independence for Scotland, which, by the way, was a pretty marginal group at the time. Um, There were were no more than 200 SNP members in the 1950s and only two candidates that could be found to stand at general elections. So, you know, they weren't representing any silent majority at this Mm. point. They decided to break into Westminster Abbey to, quote, liberate this stone.
2: The first attempt, which was made by Ian Hamilton, his plan was that he would hide inside, wait till after closing time, and then he would let the others in. That was foiled because he was discovered by a night watchman, and he evidently was a very charming young man because he was able to successfully persuade the night watchman that he had been accidentally locked in.
0: Yeah, but on this night, eventually they had to break their way in. They plied open this pine door that they'd found that was a bit sort of weaker than many of the oak doors around the uh, the abbey. Uh, they they plied it open with a, a crowbar, and then And they got in and they realised that they really hadn't thought through how heavy this thing was. And so they broke open the chair to get it out and promptly dropped it on their feet, breaking one of the toes of one of Hamilton's accomplices and smashing it in two.
2: Well, there's actually a suggestion that the stone was already fractured due to a suffragette bombing in 1914. Some yes. radical suffragettes had put a nail bomb next to the coronation chair.
0: Either way, they ended up with two pieces of stone. They took out the smaller bit um, and uh, loaded it into this Ford Anglia where Kay Matheson was waiting. Two cops then approached, and Hamilton improvised by kissing Matheson passionately. Uh, you know, just two lovers making out in front of. Why the is this Parliament. always? The
2: Idea they come up with.
0: Yeah. Sorry, babe. I got to do this. Uh, (laughs) The police left them alone and Hamilton went back inside to find that his pals had run away. Uh, And he then had to improvise again by taking off his coat and dragging out the second part of the stone on his coat and then heaving it into the trunk of the second getaway car. Why not bring a trolley?
1: (laughs) I mean, put it on your coat. It's such
0: amateur hour, isn't it? If you
1: think that this stone is crucially important to your national identity, that it represents the subjugation of Scotland because the King of England placed it under the coronation throne. Then you drag it out on your coat. Ridiculous. I mean, it reminds me a bit of when we were talking about the theft of the World Cup last month in 1966. They had this giddy thrill of stealing it, but like those guys, there's then this panic that settles on you. Like, now what? You have this world-famous thing. Now what? What do we do with it? And the answer was, because it was in two bits and in two getaway cars, improvised mad... Geotagging race between the two <laughs> stones. It was like it went to Kent, it went to Bonnybridge, it went to Birmingham, it went to Stirling, just basically trying to ev- evade the police, who obviously had worked out that the only people that would steal this would be Scottish nationalists, but also Specifically students. Mm. It's amazing how even in 1950, this reeked of student prank. (laughs) So they started digging around all the sort of student locations in Scotland and discovered that Hamilton had taken out from Glasgow's Mitchell Library, every book on the subject of the Stone of Destiny in the months before the theft. So they were hot on his heels.
2: Yeah, the, f- the thing I find funny about it is, you know, they stole the stone to draw attention to the fact that Scotland was entitled to more self-rule. But the whole thing ended up becoming about where should the stone live? <laughs> you know, the whole argument between England and Scotland really then became like, what should we do? You know, in March 1952, after the stone was recovered, the former Lord Mayor of London, Sir Dennis Lawson, who was a Scot, suggested a medieval-style tournament between the Beefeaters from the Tower of London and their Scottish equivalent, the Royal Company of Archers. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, it would have been a good show. Yeah. but you know and then it was like maybe there should be some kind of shared custody agreement and the students must be thinking okay we said before this is a stunt because we want to talk about scottish independence and everyone's going mm. Mm, yeah maybe the stone could spend christmas at westminster abbey
1: <laughs> <laughs> well in the end under john major in 1996 it was returned to scotland again officially having been repatriated in westminster abbey uh, in the intermittent decades um, and resides uh, in Edinburgh, although it is coming down for King Charles III's coronation because that is when it actually does the thing.
2: Listen out for the groan when he sits down over. <laughs> us. Tomorrow. I gotta say, it has to sting knowing that this is why you have a Wikipedia page.
0: Ditch the ads and get a Sunday episode when you join Club Retrospectors. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, part of the ACAST Creator Network.
1: Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time.